Well, I'm super excited to talk to Andy Rotherham today of Bellwether Ed. Uh, you're a Virginian or semi-Virginian, and there's only really one topic that's going on right now in the news. And I've been on this podcast for the last year and a half. I've asked many people this question, but with this new context, I want to ask you this question. Are we at a watershed moment for school choice? Would you use the term, air quotes, watershed? Well, first of all, Susan, thanks for having me. It's mm-hmm. great to be here with you. Um, uh, and, you know, Missouri is is one of my favorite states. A few years ago, <laughs> I had a big cross-country journey in 2016 to spend about five weeks around the country um, showing my kids the country and trying to take the temperature in, in the advance of the election. Spent a bunch of time in in. Um, in Missouri, it's just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful state. Um, but I am, as you said, I am actually, yeah, I'm a full. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I'm talking about the election of you know Glenn Youngkin. Virginia. That seems like a big deal. It is a big deal. We should talk about that. I am a full blood of Virginia. I should know. Like, I was okay. educated in the state's public schools and universities through graduate school, actually. Um, Great. Uh, Me too. Uh, my, I'm my a Mason grad. Yeah, there you go. My wife's a public school teacher. Uh, now I've taught in the public schools in Virginia briefly, and my. Um, uh, kids are public school students, so uh, um, uh, we we have lots of, of of various kinds of of interaction with the schools. Yeah, the Yunkin election's a big deal. I mean, first of all, Democrats, the state's been trending blue, as as everybody knows. I think that's been overstated by a few things. I don't I don't think it was ever quite as strongly viewed and, and blue. And Yunkin um, revealed that a little bit, but the state definitely trends. It's not a, it's not a red state, and it's if it's a purple state, it's a pretty blue hue of purple. So um, uh, Youngkin winning is a, is a big deal. And then second, Youngkin winning um, with education being an issue uh, is a big deal. I think, you know, we're not going to get really good res- data on the election for a while to get, you know, more face with voter files and so forth. Um, so a lot of people, I think, are getting out over their skis about the this and the that, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, of, of what happened. Um, I think a couple of big contextual things to bear in mind. First of all, the economy played a big role here in jobs. And I think it, there's a little bit of a novelty value to education being the issue that was also up there. And so everybody's like, oh my gosh, it's education. Yeah. If you're a journalist, that's like a hell of a lot more interesting than like the 50th election in a row where it's about the economy. <laughs> right, um, right, right. And so there's a little bit like we can't forget, jo- um, uh, we, we can't forget the economy was a big issue for voters, the biggest issue for voters, it appears. Um, and also the pandemic was a big issue, but education did matter and mattered more than it than it often did. Um, I think there, and again, we'll have to sort of, you know, there'll have to be some, some dissection of the after action. It seems like right now it was actually a bunch of things. So again, critical race theory is getting all the attention because that is, is new and novel and people want to argue about that. I think that was certainly a part of it. And you're seeing there's evidence that was a part of it, but there was also frustration with masking policies. Yeah. There was frustration with schools um, being closed during the pandemic, not opening fast enough. There's still ongoing frustration with a lot of the virtual options that parents have access to. Parents are frustrated because schools are like, you know, having lots of asynchronous days this year where the students, there's not a lot of learning going on. That's frustrating parents. Um, you know, a, then I mean, honestly, I think that's the biggest thing to me. And yeah. that's been happening for a year. I know people who live in very, very nice school districts and spent a lot of money in their house and they're mad. And they're like, this is not what I wanted. I do not want my child's kitchen table doing like I paid too much. for. I mean, I just felt like there was like this unrest and angst and dissatisfaction amongst parents. 
before yeah, critical race theory or any of that. You know, they're just mad. They're just, it's frustrating. It's exhausting. I think that's right. And I think what I, think I called it uh, on, on my blog on edgewonk.com, I called it a, a few months ago. There was like a coalition of the pissed off that was emerging. Yeah. And, and say that's lower, edgewonk.com. Like edgewonk.com. Yeah. People can and find it. Yeah. You can go there or you can get, I have an edgewonk on Substack. You can get it by email. Um, and this coalition of the pissed off, like the one thing they can all agree on is that they're pissed off. But the that's reasons right. are varied, sometimes overlapping. Um, and, and varied. And there's just a high degree of frustration. And I think what Yunkin did politically that was underappreciated is he tapped into that and he basically put Democrats in the position in, in two ways in a really bad position. One was they were the defenders of all this and he laid it at their feet um, and Democrats didn't do enough to sort of sidestep that. And then sort of um, second, he set them up because they weren't sidestepping it to own everything that was happening. And so in the social yeah. media age, it's really bad if every crazy thing that happens or bad decision or whatever mm-hmm. is going to ricochet around social media and you're going to have to own that. And I think the mistake Terry McAuliffe made was not early on sort of essentially separating and being like, you know, yeah, we're going to teach an honest account of history in this state and we're going to talk about problems of racism in this state. Um, and, you know, but I'm not like if you're if your second year old is, you know, or your second grader, excuse me, is coming home freaked out, um, you know, because they were told they're an oppressor or something. That's not OK. And we're not going to do that. And he didn't like parse those two things. Right. And so he ended up owning all of it. And, and then and then that one, wasn't a good place to be in 2021. No. And one horrible soundbite. The minute that came out of his mouth, that parents shouldn't tell schools what to teach. I'm like, that's got to be the soundbite of the election, right? It's the last thing parents want to hear right now. Yeah, you know, afraid. Susan, yeah, it's an interesting point. So I actually, I don't think he's wrong. Right. I, think what, I think what hurt him there was this frame had already been built. This fit in. He should have known that was going to happen. And he should have chosen his words more carefully and known that whatever he said was going to be taken out of context. It's a political campaign. But his fundamental point, this will kind of start to bring us towards school choice, is he's right. You can't have 25 parents dictating for each class what's taught and not taught. Um, and, and there's a degree, public schools need to be responsive and so forth. But fundamentally, when you send your kid to school with other kids, you are seeding some, there's going to be decisions made about curriculum and what's taught and so forth. And if you really don't like that, then you need to think about, okay, do I want some sort of private option? Do I want um, uh, to homeschool? And I mean, I know families who like that's so important to them that they, that they choose to homeschool. Um, and we should preserve freedom for all of those options. I think that's really important. But I, I do think we have to be realistic with what the public schools can be expected to do and what teachers can. I think Terry was kind of giving, um, he was giving a pragmatic voice to that, but it was not the setting for pragmatism. It was the hothouse of a statewide political race. Right. So I think he was talking about a parent who wanted to remove a particular book from a particular classroom, which was beloved by Toni Morrison. And so if you had every parent go over the, the book list for every classroom and scrub it in a way that they liked, you know, my thought has always been, if you don't like the curriculum, you can opt your child out of it. Or I would give parents freedom to choose a different school with public funding. I mean, you don't have to have your child learn something that you're against and you can't prevent them from learning something that you're for. I mean, there's many people are, lots of people are talking about critical race theory. They're very against it, but there are people who love it. So there's always going to be people on both sides of the issue. And the key, I think, is to let people, you know, have some 
discretion over where their children are educated. But I wonder what you think about the fact that so Missouri, where you are red, 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 we're like super majority. And many of our rural legislators who are Republicans are very against the idea of, say, letting charter schools be statewide. We only have them in our two cities or um, any other form of school choice or interdistrict choice. They're very against it. And I wonder if it'll make them sit up and take notice that. Yeah, well, I want to I want to be clear. I'm not an expert on Missouri. I love I mean, get me some Pappy's barbecue. That'll get me there. (laughs) I love watching the Red Sox beat the Cardinals in the World Series. So there's things about Missouri that I that I certainly enjoy. But this um, rural Republican thing, that's that's more ubiquitous than just Missouri. Yeah, yeah no, but I, just, I don't want to present myself as any kind of Missouri expert because I'm, I'm not. Um, but yeah, I think everyone's going to take notice. Uh, I suspect, you know, as often happens, uh, you know, first of all, politics is a reactive business. And so people will adjust. And this idea that like the Democratic Party will just like stay in stasis and won't respond to this election. The Republicans can like continue to get on their flank. Like the Democrats will respond, the Republicans will respond. And there's a chance the Republicans overreach. I mean, there was some contingent stuff in Virginia, um, which we can talk about if you want, that I would I would be careful like overreading the stuff too much. Right. Um, and so I think I think and there's I think there, there's a real chance the Republicans will overread this and go too far. This, and, and the second thing, and I'm look, I'm obviously someone who supports charter schools and, and supports statewide. We should give parents more choice. Um However, I think there's a fallacy with it that you hear among with school choice folks that that will just allow us to sidestep all of these culture wars, which is, oh yeah, let people choose. And then all these issues we argue about, as you said, there's people who love critical race theory and people who hate critical race theory and whatever, that all that will just fall away. And I think that's a mistake. It's a mistake to think that. And the, and the reason is in any kind of society, you have to have some boundaries on sort of What's taught to the next generation? What are the values and so forth? And, and those fights are always contentious. And this is, I mean, there's a reason like most of you, if you look historically, like most great thinkers throughout history, whether more recent folks like Martin Luther King or, you know, Rousseau and Plato all wrote about different kinds of ideas on how people should be educated and what they should know and not know. Like it's, it's what we, it's what we argue about as people. And I, I think there's a, there's a, there's, a, there's a romance of the idea that if we just give people choice, everybody can kind of go in their corner and everything will be fine. That's not how a sort of integrated liberal society works. And we're going to have to have these debates. I do think choice kind of starts to expand it a little bit more because you can have more space for various preferences. But I just don't think it eliminates the need to have those hard conversations. Um, right. And, right. and right now, we're obviously terrible at having them. And I would suggest that like, MSNBC and Fox are like the worst places to have them. But unfortunately, that's where everybody goes to have them. And so it's toxic. I do think there's an opportunity for a more pluralistic system of schools than the one we have now where we have to all decide things together. And certainly people got very uh, mad about the Common Core. Very, very mad about the Common Core. And, you know, they didn't want all the schools to be the same. But I think there's opportunity. Many of the schools, just so you know, in rural Missouri, look a lot like they did probably in the 50s. You know what I mean? We have plenty of high schools with eight or 10 graduates each year. You know, we have plenty of schools with under under 100 kids or under 50. And I bet you that even the content isn't dramatically different than when those kids' parents went there. And so this idea that we can just continue to do all this schooling the same, I do think will change going forward with this. The pandemic, I think, just interrupted it. And now people are like, well, maybe I'll do math you know, online through this system. And then maybe I'll go in for art. And then I'll, you know, I do think that people will start to 
see bigger opportunities for how they could educate their kids? I think so. I think I think there's an appetite for that. And we saw that in the pandemic. And I think one of the interesting things was people in the pandemic got a visibility into what goes on in school that they hadn't had before. And some of them yeah. didn't like what they were seeing around how time is used and, and, and efficiency and stuff like that. Um, people also became more comfortable with, you know, a whole bunch of ideas. So I think there's like, that's interesting that there's like that kind of appetite. And so things are clearly, clearly changing. We're seeing, you know, if you saw the Bellwether report, the overlooked, like, you yeah. See, so like, tell me about that. Well, I mean, I talked about this a lot. I think Missouri's missing three and a half percent of our kids, but we're really missing uh, the preschoolers and kindergartners. And, you know, we know that we might have hit 90 percent on our um, state assessment last year, but that's going to be super uneven for who came in and took that test. And so, yeah, the overlooked, the missing. The, what are we going to do? Yeah, about the so the, the overlooked like was a comprehensive look at not just so you've got these kids um, who are missing and we don't know where they are. And I think some of those kids are in a good education setting. Some of them, their parents, they, 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 we just don't know like the data hasn't caught up to where they are, but some of those kids are like, they're not in school, they're at home, they've vanished. Um, you also have a lot of kids, if you look at like engagement data in a lot of these cities, you have a lot of kids who they weren't logging on and so forth, yeah. or they're logging on a very minimal, very minimal engagement. But we also looked at some other groups. So the muted, which are families who um, haven't moved from public schools, but they're not getting the options they want. So they want different kinds of options. Um, uh, and then movers, those are parents who actually did like, they're like, I don't like this, I'm going. And I think anecdotally, we all know uh, families who suddenly started going to private school or, yeah. or online school or whatever. Um, uh, and it turns out when you look at the data, there's like people who had the ability to start to make those kinds of choices were making those kinds of choices. So collectively, yeah, there's a hunger and appetites. So you asked earlier, is this the watershed moment for school choice? And my answer would be, I think it could be. I think the pandemic and there's this sense that it like just put in place all this stuff. I yeah, don't yeah. think so. It put in place some conditions and I think there's an opportunity politically for to, to activate parents and be like, we do need a system as you described it, pluralistic. I would say like more unbundled and giving parents more a la carte options. I mean, personally, I'd love to see public schools do more to engage with homeschoolers and have more yeah, interplay yeah. there. I think like you want to get as many people bound up in the education project as you can. Um, and so like you, you want to sort of build bridges, not put up walls with different constituencies, but like um, the opportunity is there to do all that, but we'll have to see what happens with the politics. And the one thing out of yeah. Virginia that'll be worth watching on this is do people decide, um, and particularly on the Democratic side, that the only, it wasn't the wrong medicine, it was just the wrong dosage, and so just become louder about this stuff, or is there a pivot? And that'll be worth watching as to whether we are going to get to some bridge building or just, you know, more political fighting. I mean, education's always been considered a kitchen table issue, and you've been around education policy for a while now, and things don't really change, and when you ask people, like, What's their biggest issue? It's almost always the economy and education's on the list. And it's like moms, but I do feel like it got elevated. You know, it's like moms care about it, but most people otherwise don't really, but it got elevated. And I've always said that as a group, parents of school-age children can be very uh, powerful. Like, you know, try to pass a bond referendum or something. They'll show up and they'll fight for their kids across the socioeconomic spectrum. So I do think there's an opportunity to harness that right now, that general level of unrest, especially even this school year, we're a year and a half into it. We're all tired of the pandemic. We still have schools quarantining. We still have kids going for a little bit and then staying home for a little bit. Thank 
God, my kids are out of school because I don't know what I would have done with them. Well, I would have at least like, one case of mutiny. I know for that's sure. Because so. we're still in a pandemic. I think one of the things like as the pandemic has gone on, you know, it started in you know March of 2020. And, you know, you and I are talking November of 2021. People just want it to be gone and they want it to kind of end as suddenly as it started. And that's not going to happen. I think like you hear I, I get the frustration where I go through with my kids, too. But like we're still it, we're still in a pandemic. And case rates that would have had us all freaked out last year and were front page news are now just like a people it's like a, a fact yeah. of life right yeah. and and so i think that's obscuring like the situ- how the situation is still serious and, and and school officials are dealing with some pretty challenging stuff from a public health standpoint um i think the other thing to bear in mind here susan is you know common core is a good example people in two ways. One, people don't want to gamble on their schools and people flipped out about Common Core, but it's interesting. There's other states that kind of did Common Core stuff. Like, so for example, they Still doing it. Math, they didn't say it was Common Core and people were fine with that. And so yeah. there's a political aspect. It's people are risk averse and sometimes that risk aversion shows up in very political ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the second thing to bear in mind is like in politics, your school's doing Common Core, you don't want them to. That's an easier thing to motivate people around. You're sort of seeing mm-hmm. that with some of the CRT stuff. Um, that's different than like an aspirational politics of like, we're going to expand choice options. We're going to give you something new. Right. It's easier to mobilize people to respond to a perceived threat or some sort of immediate thing than it is to an aspirational goal. And that is a sort of political nut, the choice world, the choice community has never cracked and needs to think about how do you, and in my experience, how do you crack it? You're, you're a well, strategist. You, you mentioned, I've been doing this for a long time yet, yeah, longer than I, longer than I want to admit. Um, You've been doing what for a long time. I haven't really officially introduced you. Please tell me and everybody's listening what you do. Sure. So I'm an education analyst. I'm a co-founder and partner at a nonprofit consulting firm called Bellwether Education. We're a nonprofit because we're a mission-oriented consulting firm. There's about 70 of us now. We're actually growing and hiring. So I'd urge you to come to our website at Bellwether Education and, and you know Google us and check us out because um, we're actually hiring. We're, we're in a growth phase. Um, so we do strategic advising. We do um, a lot of field-facing work, a lot of policy consulting. Um, I co-founded with public it. schools, public school systems, right? Yeah, we work with public schools. We work with public charter schools. We work with states. We do some work with private schools, uh, not not as much, um, but some. So we work. We're basically interested in where is there going to be impact on historically underserved kids. So in particular, that's obviously low income kids, black kids, Hispanic kids. Um, uh, is where we focus, uh, you know, most of our efforts. And um, we started in 2010. I co-founded it with with uh, three, three partners. Um, uh, and before that, I um, uh, was in the think tank world. I was a state board of education member of Virginia. Um, I was at the White House with Bill Clinton and I've done some um, media stuff. I, I wrote a national education column for time for three years, have written for US News uh, off and on a couple of different oh. times and done work, uh, done various projects and work with them. I'm, I work uh, with the 74 now uh, in the education space. So kind of some different stuff like that. Um, but anyway, so the point I was gonna make the, on the aspirational, the nut, I don't have a great answer, but I do think, um, one thing I noticed, I was a trustee of a charter school in DC for about eight years. And one of the things I noticed doing that, we would often meet like a, a law firm or someone downtown would loan us their boardroom for board meetings. And 
we would go and I remember we used to do it regularly at this one place. And so I got to know, cause, you know, you'd be there quarterly. I got to know the, the, the woman at the front desk, the security person, you know, checks your ID and, and that kind of thing. And, and I got to know her a little bit and we would chat. And one day I came in uh, to, you know, get my badge and get up, go up the elevator. And she asked me if we could have a word for a sec. And she's like, you, cause you come here. She's like, you come here for this charter board meeting. She's like, what's that about? She's like, cause like one of my neighbors has their kid in one of these charter schools and like, they really like it. And you know, they like how they're, they, they like how the family is treated by the school. And so we talked about it for a moment and, you know, I, I told her what we're about and that there's lots of schools and, and where to find information about all the options. And it struck me, that's actually how you crack you. It, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little like, it's, it, this is a little bit of a, of a, of a crude analogy, but I think it works. Like it's a little bit like 30 years ago, like, no one drank fancy coffee except super rich people. Like, right. you know, everybody else drank like Folgers and Sanka and stuff. And then like Starbucks came along and suddenly this idea of like fancy coffee drinks wasn't some abstract thing. It was, you could go down the street and get one. And now like there's Starbucks, there's all these other kinds of coffee shops everywhere. And the right. entire coffee game in this country um, has, has improved. <laughs> and I feel like that's like a good like as long with coffee, if coffee was like an abstract thing, people are like, well, this Folgers, I guess it's fine. Or, you know, maybe Duncan right. if you live in the Northeast. And like, now we all think about it totally differently, right? Like I, I get like mail order coffee, from like three different, <laughs> right. three different roasters. <laughs> um, and I think that's like, it's actually illustrative. Like I said, it's a bit of a crude analogy, but I think it works. It's illustrative of how change, we need to make sure the political space is responsive, is creating those mm -hmm. options. Political leaders are talking about the need for them but it's fundamentally going to be parents seeing stuff that's working and be like, Oh yeah, I want that too. Um, I think that's, that's right. My, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's my take. I mean, the federal department of education does a survey every couple of years called the national household education survey. And they ask parents and they have since the nineties, do your, your child go to a, uh, an assigned public school, a chosen public school, a private school or a religious private school or a uh, homeschool. And the assigned public school and the chosen public schools have gotten murky. Like the way they asked the question got a little murky for a while, like assigned public school. Then the next question was, did you move to the neighborhood for the assigned public school? So anyway, it's got a little murky. However, the percentage of parents who now send their child to their assigned public school, I think hit below 70% for the first time, which I kind of always felt like once we got into those numbers, you know, and then, you know, when you have enough parents living in cities like Indianapolis or Denver or D.C. or uh, New Orleans, where, you know, you've got a four year old and you know that you've got to go figure out where they will go to kindergarten. You have to go make a decision. You have to submit the names of schools and everyone has to do it. Then going somewhere where you have no options, I think, will just start to seem weird. Right. So like. If they were to move to, say, the St. Louis region and then find out that they don't really go pick their kid's school, they just go to the school based on the house that they bought. Um, I think in my mind, once people have more choices, you don't normally go backwards. So people I think that's right. give it up I think and say, right. oh, that's fine. I don't need that choice anymore. Um, so the places that aren't offering any choices are just going to be less attractive to families. I think that's right. And then you have, you know, historically a huge race-based aspect and and, yeah. and 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 still to some extent, although it's thankfully lessening, and now enormous class aspect, which is people talk about moving and moving to schools as if it's this like universal thing. And it's not. You've got all these communities where have great public schools, 
but it's hard to it's hard to get a house in them. It's hard to get a house economically, whether you can afford yep. it or not. And then in a lot of cases, scarcity. We all have these little communities and you know, when houses go on the market, you know, it's pocket listings because everyone's desperate to get in there. Um, that's ridiculous. We did a, um, uh, we just did a, an analysis of Bell, whether it's on our website when you're, when you're, I love it. There, mm-hmm. when you're there looking for jobs, I hope you look at our content called Priced Out. And, and what we're, 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 you know, we're, we're basically looking at like, you know, the rental market in these places, the housing market, and just how <laughs> these quote unquote public schools are just inaccessible for lots of people. And, Look, that's, you know, I, I don't I don't see us like these school boundaries going away anytime soon just for political reasons. So that's where choice and charters come in. And it's like, so, OK, and I've long been someone who's like, why aren't we just increasing the supply of good public schools? Why do we think this is a static thing? And I was happy, you know, you know Bill Clinton had a goal of having 3000 by the time he left office. You know, we've now got, you know, way more than 7000 uh, public charter schools. They're not all good. Some of them should be closed immediately. Um, some of them are like about the same, but that's fine if parents like them and a subset, but a significant subset is like substantially better academically. Right. Um, they have huge waiting lists and I've just never understood this idea of like, you know, and, and look, I mean, I, I want to be clear by bias. Like I was a founding board member of the national Alliance for public charter schools. As I said, I've been, I've been a board member of a state charter association. So like, you know, I, I tend to think like empowering parents this way is a good thing. Um, but like, I've never understood why do we treat this like a scarce good and limit? We should try to create more of them, and we can. It's not. There is not like this is not like a rare earth element or something that there's a limited supply of it. We can um, create more good schools, and we've seen that. And particularly in the cities, people love it. The voter behavior, you know, they 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 like it. They they reward politicians for it, and so it's just the politics of it are are weird. We all know. I mean, it's special interest politics and everything else, but there is an opportunity there. I want to explain how it works in Missouri, which is that you can have a charter school anywhere, but the only sponsor or the only authorizer can be the local school board. And the idea of a local school board sponsoring a charter school is completely uh, antithetical to to thinking there. Like the like I have to keep convincing people in Missouri that half of all charter schools are sponsored by local school boards, like thousands of local school boards sponsored charter schools, it's actually can be a great opportunity for a local school board, especially it'll in a growing work, district where you're out of space. Concerts. You know, yeah, what I mean? it can be a great in rural communities. There's so many examples, but it's like the border of Missouri seems to have blocked this information. So it's a non-starter. So I, I'm hoping that the legislature will do something along the lines of if you want to start a charter school anywhere outside of St. Louis or Kansas City and your local school board won't sponsor it, then you can appeal to a state board of charter schools or just have some other method of, because I've had parents contact me and they would love to start a charter school outside of those two cities and, and you just can't do it. It's just, when I when I moved to Missouri from Virginia seven years ago and I started working in Missouri and I came from the National Alliance Public Charter Schools, I was surprised at like, where I had to start the conversation, like, what is a charter school? How do they, are there any rural charter schools? I'm like, maybe seven, 800. I mean, yeah, there's, are any of them sponsored by local school boards? Half of them are sponsored by local school. I mean, like the, um, the, just the lack of information on, on what a great thing these can be for communities. They are still seen very much as completely just a threat. And that's a shame. I mean, we're missing out, I think. Yeah. So Susan, I guess like the thought I had leave with is like, it's an interesting thing about this. And Virginia is, is roughly the same way historically as it sounds like right. Missouri. 
is, and I think this is something that frustrated parents is for four years, they listened to an administration in Richmond talk about listening to people who haven't had power, talk about um, the historic racism in our state that has denied people opportunity, which is absolutely true and in some I yep. think, ways that we don't teach enough about in school and people would find shocking, um, but should learn about. Um, we talk about all these kinds of things, right? And then um, this basic idea of actually empowering parents, particularly low-income parents who are disproportionately in our state going to be Black parents who haven't had um, educational power is a non-starter. And that is also true nationwide. We're having this, yep. um, this, this sort of very important reckoning with our country's history and our country's present as it involves race and racism. And yet education, school choice is still somewhat off the table in those conversations. And I think that is squaring that circle and, 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 and really figuring out what's going on there is something the school choice community uh, has to do because like there's a, there's a moment right now of reckoning with systemic inequity and the enormous systemic inequity in schools is kind of off the table. And that's a, that's a problem. So the final final question here, 2025, do you imagine that our system of public education will be better than it was in 2018? Do you think uh, it's going to take longer than that? Or do you think that this whole hiccup, I don't even know if that's the right word to use, is going to result in a stronger system? I do think it'll be better. Look, I'm somebody who believes in progress. I'm fundamentally an optimist. That's why I come to work. Um, <laughs> seriously. And I get very tired of like, the, you know, there's all these people in the reform world now are running around in hair shirts about how nothing's changed over 30 years and so forth. That's absolute bull****. Um, yeah. You look at the data and it's quite clear, like we've made progress. I mean, I think that the Nate data we just saw should really worry us. Um, yes. uh, but like, State standards, uh, you know, academic standards are much better than they were, say, a decade ago. Um, we've 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 had some success uh, raising achievement of, of the lowest achieving kids. As I said, we got all the, you know, we've we've opened an enormous cohort. I, I've been doing this long enough. I can remember when really smart people in, in education said things like, "Well, KIPP will never be more than fifteen schools, and TFA will never be more than five hundred teachers." Like people said this stuff, and this was like received wisdom. Um, you know, TFA has got like 50, what, 50,000 alumni now. And, you know, there, there's right. a couple hundred KIPP schools. And those are just two examples. Um, there, there's numerous examples. Not everything's, there's a, when I say that, there's like a bad faith reading that people are like, oh, you're just saying like, everything's great. And I'm not saying that. There's like enormous problems. That's why I come to work. Um, but you can you can hold two things in, in your head at the same time. And like, you talk to any parent, like a special needs kid, talk to their a parent of a special needs kid and like, the 70s compared to now, right? Like on so many ways, we've made so much progress. Um, and we should- Bullying. We should, bullying when I was in school was bullying. Yeah, yeah. We should, hold, we should hold this. You get beat hold, up and teachers would be like, you know, let's not make a big deal over it. <laughs> yeah, we should hold in our hand two things. There's still enormous problems and tons of work to do. We've also made progress. And it's, it's weird to me. Why would a movement think it's a good idea to say that there's been no progress? Because yeah. like- like who the hell wants to be part of a movement? That's, like, that's oh, not helping. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so you got to hold both those ideas in your head at the same time. Lots of challenges, still lots of progress, but there's been, there's been tons of progress. And so I, I say that by way of answering your questions, just saying, yeah, of course, I think things will be better in four years because okay. in general, things get better. Um, one of the, one of the weird things in American life is most of the pre pandemic, obviously, 
by going, you know, most of the trends you would want to see improving, improve, not all, but most, you know, tended to trend in the right direction, not right. fast enough. Um, there's, you know, enormous human costs to, to many things, but like they roughly go in the right direction. And, you know, people struggle with that. It's the same thing in education. We're, we're slowly, because across this country, millions of people go to work every day, not to do a bad job, but to try to, to try to do the right thing. And we need to like continue to increase support and so forth to help them, help them do that even more. Um, So, yeah, so I'm, I, I, that question to me is like, yeah, I mean, are there lots of things I'm worried about? Yeah, of course. And and the individual costs often, you know, catastrophic. Yes, they are for people, but like in general, yeah, I think things will be better than in 2025 than they are. And I think they'll be better in 2030, you know, um, Great. Well, you know, for the next all month, else, all else equal, you know, with with our yeah. society more generally. For the next month, or maybe a few weeks at least, we'll have to hear about Virginia nonstop. So, well, as as I said, as a as a you know as a <laughs> you know through and through Virginia, I think that's great. You, you can't talk about Virginia too much. Well, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.